0: This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. That's audibletrial.com slash bookstacked.
1: Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ali invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com.
0: everyone, welcome back to Bookmarked. It's Eleanor here. You may know me as occasional Bookmarked co-host or book reviews editor of our website. I'm here today to bring you an episode that is a little different than usual. I'll be interviewing YA author Sarah Henning about her new novel, The Princess Will Save You. Sarah began her career as a journalist in Kansas and is now the successful author of four YA novels, Sea Witch, Sea Witch Rising, Throw Like a Girl, and the topic of today's podcast, The Princess Will Save You, which came out on the 7th of July. I was lucky enough to receive an arc of The Princess Will Save You and I have to say I really enjoyed it. It's a wire fantasy that follows Princess Amarande in her quest to rescue a stable boy, Luca. It's chock full of gender-bent tropes and amazing characters so I highly recommend you pick it up. Today Sarah and I will talk about the fierce feminism packed into this novel and how the book sends a powerful message not just to young girls but to young boys as well. I really enjoyed doing this interview so I hope you enjoy listening. So without further ado, let's go to the interview. Enjoy! So, hi, Sarah. Welcome to Bookmarked. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and The Princess Will Save You?
1: Yeah. So, my name is Sarah Henning. I am a writer and author and former journalist. Um, I live in Kansas in the United States. And um, I wrote The Princess Will Save You, which is sort of a ginger swap, damsel on distress tale that is inspired by The Princess Bride. And it comes out July 7th.
0: That's that's great. Um I really enjoyed reading the book actually. Uh we've got our review going up next week. But yeah, I found the feminist like gender swapped aspects of it really, really interesting. I like that you've taken that damsel in distress trope and turned it on its head. So what made you decide to write the story in this way? Like for instance, turning the boy Luca into the damsel in distress?
1: I think the idea of the damsel is really interesting. And like I said, it's inspired by the Princess Bride. So I'm an 80s child, so Buttercup is, like, who I think of when I think of a damsel because she's very, like, a very classic damsel. But I was always very frustrated that Buttercup, who's very spicy throughout all of The Princess Brides, by the end she has a dagger and then she doesn't fight her way out, you know, out of this marriage, out of this castle and go fight Luca. And so I wanted to write a ginger swap version because I wanted to give the woman the idea, like, she has the, the dagger and she can use it. But I also think the idea of flipping the damsel isn't just about changing male to female because Princess amarande and the way her world is set up, she still fights a lot of the battles that a damsel has to deal with, right? So she she doesn't have much agency because um, she's bound in and pinned in by rules. She has to get married to to even have access to her own birthright kingdom, and. You know, and so the idea of agency and consent and then fighting against <laughs> patriarchal, like on purpose society um, was something that I wanted to explore because she's not in the position in the role of the damsel, but she still has to face those things because she's a woman. And so that was really important to me in flipping the trope because it could have been easy to just make Luca have the characteristics of a damsel, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it could be helpless. And I didn't want him to be that way either because I don't think if you have strong women on the page, the men have to be weak. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really like that with yeah, with Luca, how he yeah, he's he is essentially the damsel in distress, but he still has that fight about him. He's still determined that Amarande is gonna find him and yeah. he he has a voice that like he has action in the plot as well.
1: So yeah, I wanted him to have agency and to have a voice. And to be somebody, you know, like the damsel is usually almost an object, right? She is the thing that you get after the journey. You rescue her and then she falls in love with you. And I didn't want him to have those qualities at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Because the reward, like you've taken that reward element out of, like, the woman isn't the reward. The love interest isn't the reward. It's the reason for the fight. But it, you know, I really like that they've got that mutual relationship there. It's not like, oh, you win them because you did all the work. It's, they mutually wanted it. <laughs> right, they
1: did. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, yeah, on the note of the Patriarchal Society, or well, Amarande's outrage at the misogyny that's going on around her uh, really struck a chord with me. I think a lot of our women listeners will probably agree that they've experienced a lot of it and yeah I find it really interesting that it was mirrored in the other female characters in the book as well so I just wanted to ask how did you approach writing that misogyny did you like draw talk about that or was the disparity between the men's obliviousness to the misogyny and the women's outrage at it intentional like how did that come about
1: yes, very intentional so I don't know if it of it away but early in 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 the first act before Amarande goes to rescue Luca she is forced to have dinner with um, a prince that feels like he's in the same boat as her he has to get married to obtain his power but not because she has to do it because she's a woman she would have to do it at any age he has to do it because he's not of an age and he's trying to gain power from his regent mother and he draws the false equivalent and she's just like that's not it at all because of the way the world's set up and she's and she's confused anyway because her father raised her to be this warrior princess he was a warrior you know he raised her to be strong but then he didn't happen to change the laws of succession he needs all of the rest of their union of kingdoms to allow him to do that and he didn't he didn't do it and so then she's confused about why you know what does that mean why would he do that and it's and it's frustrating because we do teach our girls in this modern society to be strong and to be outspoken and sometimes they're punished for, for doing that or they're pinned in by things they cannot control. So I really wanted to explore that and in a very real setting you're allowed to do that because it's, you know, it's just a different type of setup but I do hope that women who read it recognize the setup, recognize this idea that like, you can only access your power by getting married which until you know, you couldn't even vote, you couldn't own land, you couldn't have your own money. It's, it's like, seriously very recently (laughs) that's been the case so yeah yeah, I think it's fun to explore some of society's ills through a fantasy setting because it allows you to really look at it in a different way and turn it upside down.
0: From the first page like it's very clear that this is a really fierce passionate argument that you're making in this book and really really highlighting that this is what society is like and yeah we can say that Um, so much has changed for women now and but at the same time it also hasn't like you hear every day of women across the world that are suffering these same injustices that Amarande is doing yeah and so bringing that all into a book it just really reminds everybody that it's it's still very much there and it's still something we need to fight about I personally think it would be a really good read for young boys young men to read as well is that something you know that you thought about as you were writing it that you wanted to give give something for them as well
1: yeah no I have an 11 year old son so I think a lot about what he's reading and consuming and how girls are portrayed and what he's reading and consuming and I think it's really important to to look at that because you know it's one thing if girls are reading this and they're in an echo chamber and they're trying to you know read stuff that really inspires them to be that way in real life but it's another I think that boys need to see we have We have thousands of years of the damsel, right, and it's always a woman. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you know, only until recently, and and people have, you know, better than me have explored this very, very well. But it's something we keep need to we need to explore over and over and over again because we have so much of a breadth of literature that covers this idea, and you know, and giving women agency in general, and. So I I did think about boys. And, you know, it's funny because my son's 11. He has friends who have read my other other books. And so we have little, like, book clubs with them and we talk about it. And, you know, like, they're really interested in, in these things. And I think that today's boys are definitely getting an education. I think about my own childhood and I... I didn't understand my frustration with Princess Buttercup from The Princess Bride until I was an adult because I didn't understand what was disappointing to me that she had a dagger and was about to end it until Wesley comes in and says his line about her boobs. You know, like I didn't understand why I was frustrated, and it's really because she could have, she had the personality to go and take care of things, and she didn't. And so we don't have a lot of examples. I mean, we're getting more. If you read you know, we we're definitely like in a high point as
0: far as. really good role models and and I'm jealous because I didn't have that you know yeah I'm quite lucky because YA was just starting to establish itself when I started reading like that age group so I've sort of seen the evolution and it get more and more like, these amazing female characters. And we've gone from, like, the Katniss Everdeen, the strong female character, to strong female characters in a completely different sense as well. And I really liked that you had that variety of character, that you had Amarande, who is the strong female character. She's got this passion. She's got this desperation to fight. But then you have other characters like Kondo, Koldo, sorry. Koldo, oh, no. yes. <laughs> you have other characters like Caldo who is she understands that misogyny in the same way, but she's more subtle about it. And then you have other characters that, you know, they all see this patriarchal society, they all want to fight against it, but they have different personalities. And yeah, I really like that. You've got the strong female character in the traditional sense, but you've shown female characters being strong in other ways as well. I think it's important to show it's not just about your muscle. (laughs) It's not just
1: about being another warrior princess, you know, it, there are ways you can serve strength and personality in the in the, your actions that are yes. not fitful.
0: So obviously, the feminism in this book is incredible, and yeah, I honestly, I just from the first page, the first like line Amarande speaks, I was like, yes, she gets it. This is going to be amazing, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's really great that you've got such a. What's the word? As- like such a... No- oh, I don't know how to describe it. The book is so clearly focused on this message. You have characters in other YA books that are good role models, but yeah, did you per- did you particularly decide to specifically write about this this element? Of feminism?
1: <laughs> you know, I so like I said, like the the seed of this story was I was thinking about The Princess Bride, which I watched a bajillion times. You <laughs> know, said the book. Because what William Goldman did is he took our favorite fairy tales and he spun them into something new. And that's why it's so beloved. You know, he wrote this for his daughters and you can see that like in the storyline. And so I was thinking, you know, I would like to take that frustration as well as the things I really love about that tale and other fairy tales and put my own spin on it. And the second I realized who Amarande was, it was just off the races. <laughs> that's who she was. And she just came out and that was great. And then the other female characters that are strong female characters, General Kodo and Ula the Pirate and Osana and even the queens that are kind of in the background, they, you know, they came out of other, they're also pinned in by their world. And if you have this person who has everything that you could ever want and she still cannot control her own life, I think that sets up a really interesting look at how women are treated (laughs) depending on their roles. And they're all frustrated in the same way. And so it, it became very clear to me that this was going to be very hyper patriarchal on purpose to discuss these things. And I've done this before. My other 2020 book is a YA contemporary called Pro Laker Girl, and it's about a female softball player who becomes a football quarterback. And I was a I was a sports journalist for a long time, yeah. and um, thrown into a lot of situations where I am this five foot one blonde girl from Kansas, and people don't think I know what I'm talking about. And it really shaped like the beginning of my career and how I see myself and things. Because to constantly have to prove yourself in your daily life and your daily job is super frustrating. And I know that I'm preaching the choir because everybody um, feels this in their own way. But I think that it has really affected my work and what I like to talk about in my YA. Because, you know, I, I have this story of when I was an intern in college at a major newspaper for an internship I fought for. And one of my first assignments was to go cover a golf tournament, like a local golf tournament. And kid was in, in the lead. I say kid, he was 22. He was like older than me, but his dad followed me around the entire day, peppering me with questions. Like if I knew what an Eagle was and a birdie and blah, 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 blah. Instead of enjoying his son winning this tournament, he was worried about how I was going to portray it the entire day. And you know, and that, happened you know when I was in college it happened a long time ago but it really affected myself and my sense of like how people see women in the world like it was just this microcosm of this feeling and so if I'm writing about football players or princesses it's sort of the same thing as far as like exploring the things we're allowed to do and the things we're not.
0: yeah I think it's great for having younger teenagers now come out and read and read this sort of YA especially young girls, in the hope that they're going to see these characters, tackle these issues, and know that they can do it too, when, which I'm assuming they unfortunately might come to face-to-face with it in the world, but they have read these characters fighting against it, and they know how to react. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you mentioned uh, The Princess Bride a couple of times, but I just wondered if yeah. there are any other books you turn to for inspiration, maybe that also subverted classic tropes? that you use to kind of guide your writing?
1: For this particular book or just in general?
0: Well, in general,
1: yeah. (laughs) There are so many that are just, that are amazing. I mean, there really are. It's funny because you mentioned Katniss Everdeen. Uh, My son, who's 11, is reading The Hunger Games right now. And I'm trying not to like be too excited about it because I know (laughs) if I am, he'll stop reading. I'm like, you can watch the movie soon. But it's interesting to see him take in, you know, it's a very, you know, female-dominated strength, book <laughs> and it's, it's been really fascinating to watch his little 11 year old brain like go through that so you know those books are, are great and you know honestly this is going to sound strange but I spent a summer a couple years ago reading all of the Jack Reacher books in order so Lee Child thrillers that are for adults and Jack Reacher is <laughs> very much like like a male Mary Sue, and I hate the term Mary Sue. And I um, and the, another thing I was fighting with amarande I really hate when people call girls to know how to do things. Mary Sue's hate it. Um, and notice that there's no male equivalent like Jack Reacher is just Jack Reacher and he beats people up. But I really appreciate the way Lee Child treats women in those books because it could be very easy for this strong guy to be like a jerk for them. So I do appreciate when male authors do something smart in the way that they treat women. Um, And of course, you know, I love Lee Bardugo's book. Like, I think that she plays with that dynamic really well and strength and character. I could just go on and on. I won't. (laughs) Yes. There's a lot of great examples.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with it. When the male, when male authors write good women, you're like, okay, yes. Like this is, this is what you (laughs) need in the world. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So aside from the feminism, which of course is, the, the main uh, part of the book. Are there any other messages you're trying to pass on to your reader through it?
1: So there is a heavy message of consent in this book because I think that we talk to girls about one level of consent. And, you know, if you want to make out with a boy, like, you have to say it's okay for black and paraphrasing. But there's also the power structure um, dynamic. And so Amirande is fighting for consent to, to be able to marry who she wants to marry or not get married or whatever. But then she realizes that she may be in love with Luca, but she is coming from a place of power. Like she she doesn't see it that way. She sees themselves them as equals, as friends, but you know, she owns his whole life. Like he is a stable boy in her father's castle and he owes every single thing to her. And she doesn't realize what that looks like until they're really talking about the fact that they feel things for each other. And so consent on that level of like understanding the power structures and how that can change relationships is really important to talk about for me, because I think that we don't talk enough to girls about that. And it's important when you enter the workplace, it's important, you know, when you're in college and you have professors that want things from you um, and recognizing that sometimes you are the powerful one and sometimes you're not, and that you should treat everyone with respect. is really important to discuss as well.
0: Yeah, I really, that really came through is a couple of scenes which also I'm not going to mention anything specific. <laughs> I know, I'm like, how do I not give this away? <laughs> there were a few scenes where it really came through from Miranda. She suddenly realizes, oh, I have all this power and Luca doesn't and it's that internal war in her own mind that she sort of knows that she wants, that he reciprocates, but then she's also like, but does he? Like, she doesn't <laughs> want to exert that power. I think that's a really good message to give to both girls and boys that you know like you said sometimes you do have the power and you need to acknowledge that and you need to acknowledge other people's feelings all, all the time so yeah as you mentioned throw like a girl came out earlier this year how does it feel to have two releases in 2020 uh 2020 may not have been the best year for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe not <laughs> kind of a dumpster fire <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, no, it's great. And having them on different ends of the spectrum has been really fun. But it's been a wild year because I will have had three books out in a year because See Witch Rising came out in August of 2019 and then so like a girl in January of 2020 and now, um, The Princess of And I feel like my friends and family are sick of me. Um, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this. But yeah, so it's, it's been wild. Like it's been crazy. <laughs> But but in a good way, it's really fun to work across different genres within the same category and because you you definitely meet different types of people and they find different types of books. And and that's been really fun.
0: Yeah. Do you find you end up reading a lot more different types as well because you're writing in so many different genres? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because when I'm writing in one or the other, like I actually tend to read something different because you know, you never want to absorb somebody else's voice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I, I'm i lucky enough that I am able to read across. And, you know, I've been asked to blurb a lot this year, and so I've gotten to read a lot of really cool, fresh, new voices. And um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to do that.
0: Well, that's great. I, I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, I, I understand you must be incredibly busy all the time, but it must be really exciting <laughs> to see – two books out in the flash. flesh yeah. like
1: one year it must be amazing it's really funny because I get a lot of comments like if I posted books together people are like I didn't realize this was the same author <laughs> I know it's hard to market my poor publicity people because it is you know they you want to put an author in a box right like yeah. you know if you're a fan of this you'll be a fan of everything they do and I'm like you know, kind of like a character actor, like I just don't want to be pinned in. I want to do everything. Um, and I've been lucky that I've been able to do that.
0: Yeah, no, but it's cool because then you can like grab somebody with like the Princess of for instance, a, a fantasy. But then go, oh, if you like this style of writing, then maybe you're like this contemporary. And, you know, you, you'll get readers to read all sorts of different things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And
0: um, so, yeah, before you were an author, you were a journalist, as uh, we have yes. discussed um but did you always want to be an author and how did you find that switch from writing as a journalist to writing as an author
1: yeah so I was one of those kids that always wanted to be a writer like before I could even write words I was like coloring you know pictures in order and then stapling them and making a book and it's funny because I have a five-year-old daughter and she does the same thing I'm like oh I know what you're
0: gonna do Um, (laughs) it starts
1: And I always wanted to write books. You know, I wrote my first book when I was like eleven or twelve and it was like thirty pages long in single space. I'm so proud of myself. But I'm also very practical and so I was like, Well, I'd like to go to an office every day (laughs) and whatever. So um and so I really I thought journalism was a really good way to go because I could tell stories every day and um, meet interesting people and and then I, I was always heavily into sports, I was a competitive gymnast. So the sports angle worked really well for me because when you think about sports journalism, it, all, it already has like all the elements of a hero's journey. You know, you have, you know, the person's working hard and they're training, they have a dream and then you've got this lead up to like the Olympics or whatever. And then you have villains who are people who are worked just as hard and you don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, the drama is already built in. So I think it played with like my sense of understanding of that. And I've, I was never like the type of journalist who wanted to be like an ambulance chaser, right? And <laughs> be really serious. I wanted to interview interesting people and put their stories in the world. And that's what I did. And so, but you can't ever escape the things you really want to do. And so, you know, I was a journalist. I was working really hard, but I always, during the day, would start working on books. And then I had to table that when I had my um, my first kid because he's watched the so a kid and do all these things. But then when he was about, three, I started like seriously writing again and looking for an agent. And so, you know, I call myself a recovering journalist, but that's really just because it really is a lifestyle to like constantly be up on everything and know things. And, but I, you know, I couldn't escape the fact that I wanted to write books and I'm so very lucky that I've been able to. And journalism was a really good proving ground for me. And I think that the way I structure my stories is still based a lot on how I was as a journalist. You know, when you're going out and you're interviewing people all day you're hearing the voices and, and you know, when you're talking to them, like you're talking, like I'm talking to you now, you, you know, like the things you key in on, and you're like, okay, that's fine in the story. That's how I'm going to set this up. And I still do that when I'm working on um, a scene and dialogue and it really informs like the way I write for sure. And also, I also don't believe in writer's block, like at all. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I, mean, I, I believe in like good days and bad days, but I think when you're a journalist and you're, told to go out and you have to come back and you have an hour to write, 250 words on the, you know, 12 inches, whatever. Um, you do it. <laughs> and yeah. so even on days when I'm not feeling incredibly inspired, there's something I can do to move forward. I rarely have days where I'm just like I can't do anything. And your subconscious is always working on it, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: So um yeah. <laughs> That's a really long
0: answer. That's <laughs> no, so great. And um, so you think your career's journey is like really helped? You're writing then, obviously in terms of writer's block. Is there anything that it might have not helped? Like writing as a journalist, does that kind of narrow your genre a little bit? Did you have to learn some new skills when you were writing your books?
1: Well, I do think, um, you know, actually, so this book is in third person, multi-PoV, and my first like couple of tries were also third person. And I think that's because as a journalist, you have to write in third person, right? But then the first books that sold were in first. And I think that you know writing in first allows you some things that I didn't have access to when I was a journalist. Like I didn't, you know, I, that was a skill I had to learn <laughs> writing in first person and creating a character who is consistent. Um, and that's harder than it looks. Like first person is actually really hard. It seems easier when you're reading it, but it's actually very difficult. And so this was actually the first third person book I went back to. Like I just I knew it had to be in third the way I wanted to tell it and. um and I think, I think a probably a be better writer in third person away from being a journalist. Like, I feel like I can add more emotion in because when you're a journalist, you're not really supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're writing in third. So I think that first helped and some of the voicing that I was able to get into this book, even though it's in third.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, journalism sounds really cool. Writing all, I just can't imagine like, Following this career path, it sounds like it's been really quite smooth. Has it for you? Like jumping yeah. from just into books? Yeah,
1: I think it has been. And you know, I, I do think you know it is really good training in general, just to, and how to deal with an editor and how to not be precious about things. Like I don't, yes. I'm not precious at all, and and formulating a plan for revision knowing how how all of that works. I think it's really helpful and less shocking because if you have worked on a book for five years by yourself and then you finally get an agent and then you're asked to make changes, it can be very difficult. Um, And I kind of divorced myself from art a little bit. And I think that's the journalism speaking. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Can't imagine that you probably want to pal anymore, but do you have any end of year surprises for your readers? The sequel to this book will come out next summer. Okay, excellent.
1: Hopefully we'll be able to announce the title soon. I, hope
0: so. I was going to ask about that. I wasn't sure how efficient it was or how, obviously people haven't read this one yet, so they need to go and read that first. But yeah, the plans for the sequel, uh, I'm really glad to hear that it will be out next year because I'll definitely be reading that.
1: <laughs> good. Yeah, um,
0: I realized that
1: the last bit of the book will might throw some people. It's a very complete book, but then some stuff happens. And- some things <laughs> happen if we so what happens.
0: We need to know. We just you just have to.
1: And yeah, we mentioned the Princess Bride a few times. I guess I should say it's not a retelling, because I've seen it tagged as that. It's it's not. It's inspired by. If you're going into it thinking it's rough retelling, you're going to be disappointed. Yes. There, there are elements of retelling, and nods to to that tale, but it is not
0: a retelling. So no, it's your own. It's, it. it's different characters. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. as I said, I really, really enjoyed the book and yeah hopefully that now our listeners have learned a little bit more about it then i'm sure they'll be picking it up as well so yeah the princess will save you will be published on the 7th of july which i think by the time this podcast goes up it will already be out so make sure you get hands on a copy thank you sarah for joining us today and talking about feminism with me i could probably talk about it with you a lot longer can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media
1: Yes. Um, My social media can be kind of confusing because I couldn't get Sarah Henning. So it's
0: S-H Henning on um, both Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, So don't forget to follow our podcast as well. You can get us on Bookmarked YA or Bookstart on Twitter. And we're at Bookstarts on Instagram as well. So thank you again, Sarah, for joining us. It's been really great to talk to you. Thank you. It's great being here. And we'll see you all again soon.
1: Looking for something to listen to after this podcast is over? We always suggest reading a book. And what better way to consume books than with Audible? In the subway or in the car, when you're mowing the lawn or doing dishes, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can always catch up on your TBR list with an audiobook. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash Audible selections includes books like Victoria Aveyard's Red Queen series and Tomi Ediemi's Children of Blood and Bone. Again, go to audibletrial.com slash bookstack for your free audiobook. And don't forget that even if you quit the trial, you get to keep the book.